It is truly, it is truly good right and salutary that we should all times and all places with all our heart and mind and voice praise you. O Lord, Holy Father, everlasting God, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. For he is the very Paschal Lamb, who offered himself for the sin of the world, who has cleansed us by the shedding of his precious blood. This is the night when you brought our fathers, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt, and led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from bondage to sin, and are restored to life and immortality. This is the night when Christ the life arose from the dead. The seal of the grave is broken, and the morning of the new creation breaks forth out of night. How wonderful and beyond all telling is your mercy toward us, O God, that to redeem a slave you gave your son. How holy is this night when our wickedness is put to flight and sin is washed away. How holy is this night when innocence is restored to the fallen and joy is given to those downcast. How blessed is this night when man is reconciled to God in Christ. Holy Father, accept now the evening sacrifices of our thanksgiving and praise. Let Christ, the true light and morning star, shine in our hearts. He who gives light to all creation, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Resurrection light, 
and listening to his accents, may hear so call and play. His own all hail and hearing may raise the victim strain. Now let us be joyful, let this song begin. to God the Father, all praise to God the Son, all praise to God the Spirit, eternal three in one. Let all the ten come fall down before the throne, and honor, power, and glory us rise The Old Testament reading is from Daniel chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall find no ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, 
which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to thee, Lord. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at the 17th verse. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to Please stand. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Next day, that is, the, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure 
by sealing the stone and setting a guard. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to thee, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His name was Tense Watawa, and he was the brother of the great 19th century leader of the Shawnees, Tecumseh. Near Lafayette, Indiana, there's a place called Prophet's Rock. It's named after him. He was called the Prophet. Though a prophet of what, we're not sure. The Shawnees were actually monotheists, and he claimed that he was a representative of God. And as his prestige grew, opposition began to coalesce within the different tribes that, that Tecumseh, his brother, was uniting to resist the incursion of the white men. And so as opposition within the different communities grew, his speeches, tense Watawa's speeches now took on more angry more shouting tirades, tirades against those who stood in his way. He said that such that opposed him must be possessed by evil spirits and that these people must be destroyed. 
And then one day, the first execution happened to an old widow, the childless widow of an old Delaware subchief, who was known to wear a medicine bag around her neck, filled with various charms. He accused her of being bewitched and declared that she must be burned because she must have demons. And that same day, a dozen warriors of her own tribe bound her, placed her on a pile of wood, and burned her alive. And no one voiced anything but approbation for ridding the tribe of such a witch. Intensely gratified, now the prophet charged one of his old opponents, a Delaware subchief, respected among the Delaware, already white-haired, old of many, many winters. But the chief didn't resist the charge. He went to his fate with dignity, and they rewarded him with a, with a tomahawk in the head before they burned his body. And things just went from worse after that. Finally, a Wyandotte who called himself Joshua, a Christian convert, was the next victim of the Inquisition. And once again, no word of protest was raised against what was happening, lest the protester himself be accused of being possessed by an evil spirit and be executed. Yes, a Wyandotte martyr, Joshua. Joshua, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, which we pronounce in English, Jesus, is just another in an unbroken stream of martyrs that goes back as long as unbelievers have murdered those who believe in the true God. Yes, Joshua. Joshua, he was. He's no different from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace and did not become martyrs because God protected them. Or, or no different from Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den because he would not give up the worship of the true God. And God spared him. But God doesn't spare all of them, does he? No, he doesn't spare all of them. Many do become martyrs as they are murdered. And why are we surprised though? Jesus warns us this, of this. He says that the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service in John 16, verse two. Yes, they will deliver you up over to be persecuted and killed and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, Matthew 24, verse nine. And in fact, in Luke 6, 22, Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Yes, if Jesus, as I said, whose name is Joshua in Hebrew was accused of being possessed with demons, then so will you. Why wouldn't his followers be treated like that Christian Wyandotte Joshua? And why do God's enemies persecute and murder Jesus' disciples? Why do, they, why do they do that, do you think? Do they do that because they know that Christianity is false? No, they do it because they know that Christianity is true. They know that it's true. And those who hate the truth fear it. You see, the, see truth is very powerful. It's very great, the, the power of truth as ever those who performing fa preferring fantasy hate it and seek to destroy it. And they are in the last resort forced to acknowledge their sense of its power is manifested by the very, very proneness to shout it down and stamp it out. Thus the men stoning St. Stephen 
had to literally stop their ears and rush at him and murder him. Why? Because they, 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 his words and his shining face were cutting them to the very heart. Even the wicked Karamazov was forced on his knees before Father Zosima, who he had come to ridicule. No, the power of truth is the reason why in our gospel lesson this evening, the chief priest and the Pharisees came to Pontius Pilate requesting a guard. It's the reason why they said that deceiver said that after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command the tomb be made secure and, and, and give us soldiers, right? And then, then Pilate said, make it as secure as you can. That's interesting, right? Very interesting. In their conversation with Pilate, Jesus' enemies reveal something very ironic, doesn't he? Very ironic. Is that they really believe in the resurrection as a true possibility. They really believe it's possible. They really believe it. Otherwise, why would I set a guard? If Jesus is a, a deceiver, is he not now just a dead deceiver? If Jesus is not the Messiah, why fear his dead body? Why fear it? Why make the tomb secure? Why, why put it there? And then it's also interesting that they project on the disciples the fact that they themselves are the grave robbers because that's how the enemy always works, right? It's always the liar that accuses the truthful person of lying. It's always the adulterer accuses his spouse of, of committing adultery. It's always the other person who is, on, it was a thief that accuses the honest person of stealing. It's called projection. And they're doing that here in our gospel lesson this evening. They're projecting. They're showing us what they believe and what kind of people they are. And it's intriguing, isn't it? It's intriguing to me very much so that, that Jesus' enemies remember better what Jesus said than his own disciples. Think about that for a second. They remember better what Jesus had said than his own disciples. Because think about it, were his disciples at this point remembering that he was gonna rise on the third day? No, no they weren't. And how do we know this? Because the next morning they weren't. So they certainly weren't the, the night before or, or during, the, the, during the darkness hours. I mean, the women go to the tomb in the darkness hours not thinking that, that he, is, he, is, he is resurrected. I mean, Mary Magdalene is astonished that the stone is rolled away, right? No, nobody can understand how this could happen. You know, Jesus is a deceiver. How, how could there be a resurrection? No, the reason why the Pharisees and chief priests fear a resurrection is they know that sometimes God does do this. Sometimes God resurrects the dead. He does. Yep, he does. Some of y'all probably remember 1 Kings 17, 23, where Elijah was living literally on the roof of a Syrophoenician widow's house and she had a son and that son died. He came home one day, Elijah did, and the boy was dead in the house. And the woman says, you know, he, my son is dead and your God let him die. And Elijah said, no, give me the boy. And he took the dead body upstairs and laid it on his bed, right? And then he, he, he laid himself on top of the child and he cried out, oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. He did this three times and God heard the voice of Elijah and, and he revived. And then Elijah brought him down to his mother. So God does sometimes raise the dead and the Pharisees know this. The chief priests know it. 
And they're afraid. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken steps. Would they? Of course not. Because why couldn't the same thing be true for Jesus? It could. And that's what the Pharisees and chief priests fear more than anything. Because realistically, what are the actual chances of Jesus' disciples stealing his body and pretending like there, there was a resurrection? I mean, Jesus' disciples are, are pathetic. I mean, they, they didn't defend him in the Garden of Gethsemane, did they? No, they all fled. Peter alone drew his sword. No one else did. They all, they all ran. Did, they, did, they, did any of them have the sand to sit there and watch him die on Good Friday? No, no, only John. Only John and the women. The rest of the 11, what did they do? Well, Judas would kill himself already, but the other, the, other not, the other 10, what did they do? Or the nine, what did they do? They ran, they fled, they hid. They're all cowards. They don't have the, don't have the gumption to go or the, the courage to try to overpower a, a group of Roman soldiers. Really? It's absurd. No. No, the disciples don't believe in the resurrection. They make that amply clear on Easter. They don't believe in the resurrection. On the, on the, on the Galilean, on lake, the lake shore of Galilee, the, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus has to eat fish to prove he's not a, not a phantom. And even after, even after Jesus appears in the locked room behind the locked door among all the disciples, but Thomas is absent. Even Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I stick my hand in the finger, finger points you know, where, where, where the nails went in and, and thrust my hand into his side. I'm not going to believe no, the disciples don't believe in the resurrection. Even though Jesus told them several times he was going to be resurrected on the third day, they do not believe it. They don't believe it. Even Mary Magdalene on Easter, Easter morning doesn't recognize Jesus when she looks him in the face and he's speaking to her. He's saying, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's talking to angels and she doesn't recognize that there's something strange going on. And they're called angels. So she knows. No, they don't, they don't think the resurrection's a possibility. But Jesus' enemies do. They do. Not only that, but in the, in the first century, the opening of graves was a very, very serious crime and also a very serious social taboo. And again, it's unlikely that the disciples would have done such a thing. Why? Well, they didn't want to do it when Lazarus had died. They were very disinclined to obey Jesus when, 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 the, when they were at the tomb of, of Lazarus. Why would, they, why would they go do this now? It's interesting as well that at Lazarus, archaeologists found a marble slab that's about two feet, about, about a foot and a quarter uh, long, wide, that contains 22 Greek lines, a Greek inscription that's 22 lines long. And the thrust of the inscription essentially is this, sepulchers and graves should remain unmolested into perpetuity. And those who infringe on the inviolate character of the burial should be tried and punished. Such criminals include anyone who has cast out bodies to have been buried in a tomb or who with malicious deception transfer them to other places, unquote. So it's ridiculous that the disciples who are manifestly cowardly, would have attempted anything like this. No, what the Pharisees and chief priests are actually telling us by their words and their deeds is that they believe it will happen. They believe in the resurrection. 
Which begs the question, doesn't it? Especially of you, Corey and Addison. But of all of us here, do you believe in the resurrection? Do we believe in the resurrection? On Sunday morning, when we declare he is risen, do you believe that he is risen indeed? Alleluia. Are you like the Pharisees and the chief priests who believe in the resurrection, or are you more like the disciples who really aren't convinced? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Because as catechumens who in, in mere moments from now will, will take vows of confirmation and become communicant members of Christ's holy body, the holy church, do you believe in Jesus' promises to you? Do you believe that you are born again of water and the spirit? Do you believe that Christ gives you the forgiveness of sins through his true body and blood present in and under wine and bread and holy, the holy Eucharist? Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And are you willing to make it known that you follow Christ, just as Joseph of Arimathea in our gospel lesson this evening did. You know, he was a secret follower of Christ, but once he asked for the body of Jesus, he was a secret follower no longer. He put himself out there, made it very clear to the world who he was. Risks, it didn't matter anymore. He outed himself as a devout follower of Christ when he put Christ, Jesus's remains in his brand new tomb. Will you honor your vows to God in the same way? Or will you forget them when they become inconvenient? Don't answer. Just consider. Because too many of us fall away when it becomes inconvenient or a little bit difficult. You see, today's gospel lesson calls all Christians to believe God the Son, Jesus Christ's words, at least as seriously as do his enemies. In the name of Jesus, amen. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from
Please, uh, Corey and Addison, come forward. Beloved in the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ said to his apostles, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have been baptized and catechized in the Christian faith according to our Lord's bidding. Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who art in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who art in heaven. Lift up your hearts, therefore, to God of all grace, and joyfully give an answer to what I will now ask you in the name of our Lord. Do you this day, in the presence of God in this congregation, acknowledge the gifts that God gave to you in your baptism? Do you renounce the devil? Do you renounce all his works? Do you renounce all his ways? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God? Do you confess the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church drawn from the scriptures as you have learned to know it from the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? You intend to live according to the word of God in faith, word, and deed. Remain true to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even unto death. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? We therefore rejoice with thankful hearts that you have been baptized and received the teaching of the Lord. You have confessed the faith. You have been absolved of your sins. As you continue to hear the Lord's word and receive his blessed sacrament, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to its completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory. The Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you a new birth by water and the Spirit, and has forgiven you all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Amen. Your communion. Um,
Your communion verse is Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Receive this holy icon of the resurrection as a remembrance that you've been born again. Receive also this first hymnal and second one as well. And also, um, you can set this down. Communion. Addison. Addison. Almighty, Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you a new birth and water in the Spirit, forgive you all your sins and strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Amen. Your communion verse is Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without, under, without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Receive also this holy icon of the resurrection to remind you that you have been saved by grace through faith. Also receive the liturgy of the church. And also memorize. Let us pray. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your great goodness in bringing these, your daughters, to the knowledge of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ and enabling them both with the heart to believe and with the mouth to confess his saving name. Grant that bringing forth the fruits of faith, they may continue steadfast and victorious to the day when all who have fought the good fight of faith receive the crown of righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty and most merciful Father, in the waters of holy baptism, you have united your children in the suffering and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, cleansing them by his blood. Renew in them the gift of your Holy Spirit, that they may live in daily contrition and repentance with a faith that ever clings to their Savior. Deliver them from the power of Satan and preserve them from false and dangerous doctrines that they may remain faithful in hearing Christ's word and receiving his body and blood. By the Lord's Supper, strengthen them to believe that no one can make satisfaction for sin but Christ alone. Enable them to find joy and comfort only in him, learning from this sacrament to love you and their neighbor, to bear their cross with patience and joy, until the day of the resurrection of their bodies to life immortal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you always.